0: This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit that you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those
1: mics and get on with this thing.
2: And welcome to Misdirected Mark Plays. Tonight we're going to discuss best practices in one shots, both from the GM and player side of the screen and tabletop role playing games. But first, I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus.
1: I am Spartacus.
0: Okay, I'm actually Chris. It's from a movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Spartacus. Spartacus. Surprise! It's from Spartacus. Is it like a gag at the end? I don't think I've ever seen that movie. That's why it's really good. Is it really good? There's like a scene where everybody's like Spartacus at the end because they're like pretending to be Spartacus for yeah. some reason. Yeah. It's because because he leads a slave he leads a slave revolt. Oh, okay. And they crucify him. Oh. So they and, crucified Spartacus. So yeah. then everybody's like Spartacus. Yes. Okay, makes sense. Weird. It's totally a thing. Totally a thing. I'm also Chris. He's Jerry. That's Bob. Phil's not here because he's watching his daughter sing tonight. Yes, she has a thing. She's got a thing. Let's do some announcements because I'd like to do some announcements. First thing on the docket, a polygamerous gathering. So we're kicking around the idea of a gathering of gamers in Buffalo, New York next year. There's currently a thread on our Slack channel discussing it. If you'd like to get on that conversation, which we would greatly appreciate and love to hear your thoughts about, or, you know, just hit us up on Blue Sky or wherever, tell us what you think about this, especially if you're interested in attending something like that. It's still in the very early stages, but there's enough momentum that I think it's an idea worth going forward with. Second thing is the Adventure Cache. So this is a new product from Encoded Designs and, you know, all of our publishing endeavors. These are system agnostic adventures that are between three and four pages that you can use for an evening or two of play. The first one is Grim Jaws Cavern, it's free on drive through The second one is The Curse of the Pumpkin Patch. It's a great way to help us out around here at Mr. Echdemart Productions. It helps us replace gear, increases the quality of what we can produce. Plus, it's, you know, something for you to check out that we've made, if, you, if you're into that. Bob, before we move on to our main topic, would you tell us about another show on Mr. Echdemart Productions? I would love to do that. Thanks, man.
1: Hey, have you guys heard of Pandas Talking Games? No, never heard of it. Really? No, no. Well, you should do a search, because Pandas Talking Games is fabulous. Okay. Okay. What's it about? Uh, it's a bunch of queer, a couple of queer gamers, and they talk about tabletop role playing games and they make outtakes. Oh, so it's comedy too. Yes, there's, there's very much some comedy. It's uh, Phil and Senda. I'm sure you know who those people are. I do. And they get together uh, every Wednesday. Most, most Wednesdays? Mostly. Okay. They mostly record on Wednesdays. Mostly.
0: They mostly come on Wednesdays.
1: And they answer listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop role playing games. Cool. So, get cozy and let's talk about some games.
0: Sounds pretty awesome. All right, let's get to our main topic. Jerry, you ready for this?
1: I'm
2: ready. Workshop, workshop, one-shot games. How to be a good player, how to be a good GM, how to get in, how to play, how to have fun, and how to pull off a good one-shot adventure.
1: And don't suck.
0: Don't suck. So this has come about because we, me and Jerry, were just at a convention. We played a bunch of one-shots. And Bob, this weekend, because we were gone, the uh, group that we normally would have played with on Sunday also played a one-shot. So we're going to talk about one-shots. Let's dive right in. Point number one. As a game master, I think it's very important to get things going as quickly as possible. I I like having my players contribute within the first five to ten minutes of a game if I can. And what I mean about that, or by that I should say, is that I don't need my players to like roll dice or interact with the necessary mechanics of the game, but they need to be doing something, making choices for their character, building their character, maybe rolling dice or doing things that mechanically matter in the game, whatever it is, but I don't want to be narrating at them for a while. Who else
2: has got some thoughts? Uh, With that in mind, I think that if you have a a complicated setting that you think is going to take some description, before the game is part of your prep, record yourself doing your intro. And if it takes more than about five minutes to do, where you can cut things and move them to other parts of the game uh, because you don't want your players sitting there for half an hour while you tell them about your setting you want them involved interacting just like Chris said let me take on to that I, I like
0: that idea I like the recording thing mm-hmm. I think if you have like a setting that you need to describe or some stuff that you need to describe about the game you should take like the three most relevant points about that setting and you can tell the players those three things mm-hmm. and then after that you have more, you should work them in as the game is being played or things are, things are happening. You can do the thing where you're like, hey, your, player would, your character would know this is a thing in the setting. Or, hey, this is a thing that's going to come up in a second, so let me tell you about it for really quickly. That way you are not just shotgunning information at them, you're dispersing it through play. Yep. Anybody else got anything?
2: Make sure that the introductory activities that you do have with the players are active. Like you said, giving them choices, asking them questions, or... Giving them a chance to actually interact with the world, talking to people, NPCs, whatever, right off the bat.
0: Sure. Yeah, because that's, that's doing something, right? That's doing something. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to point number two. So this is a player point. I think as a player, and this, this has worked for me very well in pretty much every, every one shot or every game that I've pretty much played in the last like, couple of years, I try to interact with the other players in character in the first scene or while the introductions are going on if possible. Now, I don't think this should be a lot. I think it should just be enough to let the other players know that you're open to talking to them in character and showing off a bit of who your character is. Does anybody else have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those moments where if you take the initiative to put yourself out there in character and start talking to someone else, there may be another player at the table who's not as extroverted, maybe a little shy at the table. They're with people that they don't know. They're more reluctant and with somebody else stepping forward and doing the thing sometimes that's a good impetus to get them to like oh okay somebody else already did it i'm going to jump in and i'm going to do it too yeah sometimes it's all it takes somebody breaks the ice
2: creates table culture when players are introducing their characters as a player pay attention to the things that they mention Mm -hmm. Um, they're going to tell you the important things that they see on their character sheet that are interesting so if somebody mentions that they've got their favorite gun Ask them what the gun's name is and ask them if they're bringing it along in that campaign. Talk to them about something. If they mention their sister, ask them about their sister or make a comment about it. Something along that line that is showing the player that you're that you're interacting with them, but also gives them a chance to want to kind of interact with you as well by explaining more things that they think are cool. Gives you a chance to make running jokes, too. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Anybody else have any thoughts? If not, I'm going to move on to the next player point. Okay. Cool. So be gracious when it's not your turn to act as a player. I mean, I think you should feel free to add in little bits here and there, but you need to give others space to enjoy the experience of the game. And also, you need to just sit there and enjoy the experience of the game. Like, these are the things that, are, that, that you can be doing while being gracious. Also, listen and try to figure out what other players are trying to get out of the game
2: and then help them achieve those things. Uh, anybody want to, like, expound upon that before I do? When players are doing things, like you said, encourage them that if they come up with an idea that sounds really good do that or yeah that would be really cool if you absolutely can't if you need to be part of it and you can do something to help them maybe it is time to briefly step in um, we had this happen where somebody wanted to try something that was difficult and somebody one of the other players just said you i want to take my action to assist them and that was all the went. just to give them an extra chance to pull off the cool thing they were going to do the other player the the second player wasn't trying to steal the spotlight they were Giving up their actions that the first player could had a better chance of doing the cool idea they had and that was being encouraging also made the team work better together so that yeah that's not the same thing as being gracious it's more about being encouraging
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a completely different different point but also (laughs) completely relevant So these topics overlap yeah well (laughs) when I mean be when I mean be gracious Mm -hmm. when it's not your turn to act what I'm saying is you can add in little bits here and there but it's not your scene and that means you are also like, you are, while being encouraging, you are also listening so that once you hear things that matter to them, you can bring that back up later. For instance, in my uh, Acton Cthulhu game that I played this, this past weekend at Game Com, which is, is a while ago when you all hear this, there was a character that had a dog. And pretty early on, I asked if I could pet the dog because I wanted to bring, make the dog a thing and the dog had a name. The dog didn't have a name on the character. She had, the character gave a name. So I was like, oh, the player gave a name. So I was like, oh, that's important. So I asked if I could pet the dog. So I pet the dog, and then that also encouraged a bunch of other people to eventually pet the dog during, during the game. It wasn't a lot. It was like a moment that I just stepped in while they were doing something, and the dog was in the scene, and then it led to that over the course of the rest of play.
1: Yeah, it gave, it gave other people something else to touch on as well. So then you created
0: connection. interaction. Yeah, because I listened. Yeah. So I listened and paid attention to what was important from the other mm-hmm. player's points of view. But every time somebody pet the dog... That brought that first player back into the
2: back into the scene, or reinforced sure that
0: yep. that player, and that was something that mattered to them. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I'm that I'm talking about there. So, as a GM, I think it's important to help move the game along. You need to know the rules so that you can answer questions. If you don't, then you should just make a call if something comes up like that, and make it in favor of the players, and then move the game along. Worry about figuring it out later, and you should so you can tell them what the actual rule is, especially if they're there to learn the game. But don't let that bog things down. I mean, this is all about pacing. I think pacing, pacing has been a thing that's been getting kicked around in the RPGO sphere lately. And uh, Monty Cook, I think, kind of like started this this thing, saying it's the most important skill a game master can have. I'm like, well, yeah, it, that's true. It, uh, pacing is the most important thing that you can do in a game. It can cover up a lot of bad things about the game because we don't care if the game is trash in a lot of ways, as long as the game moved and we got to do fun things. And I, when I mean trash, I mean like the story has got plot holes or like none of the, some of the stuff doesn't make sense, but if you could do a bunch of cool
1: things, then nobody cares. That's usually how I feel about it. Uh, I don't know about you guys. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, especially in a, in a one shot convention, like setting, if you're doing something cool in that two, four hour slot, you're going to remember that later. Mm-hmm. If what you walk away from that table with is, well, he had a big plot hole there and then the rule was clunky and it, if those are the things you're remembering, then the play itself wasn't that outstanding mm-hmm. probably, but if you're remembering the cool things that you did, then something went right.
2: Yeah. yeah. As a GM, I also think that you need to do whatever prep you need to make sure that you have that pacing right. However you do things, make sure the important things that you're going to need in the game are going to be at hand, whether it's them down a piece of paper, putting them in notes, knowing where they are on your tablet, whatever. Yeah, man. Do your prep the do way the that prep. you
0: do it. To make it so it's easy for you, exactly. And it might be different for a one shot with people that you're not used to playing with. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. There are players at your table that you might not realize filling gaps for you. So think about it. Yep. Let's go to the next one. We mentioned this a little bit, but being encouraging to others' ideas. Jerry started bringing this up. It's a great idea. I think it's important to figure out how to include others in those ideas and make it about the group instead of one or two individual characters. Jerry, you were talking about the per- like the person that was just like, I'm gonna give my act up to help this person because yep. it's a cool idea and I want them to to be successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who else has got thoughts about this?
1: I think this point is especially key if you have one of those players that we mentioned before who's maybe a little more shy, not quite as outgoing. Maybe they haven't stepped up a lot and they haven't been proactive during the course of the session. Mm -hmm. If they step up and they're like, I would like to try X, that person just put themselves out there when they haven't really been doing it before. Take that and run with it. Mm -hmm. Let them have that moment and build off of it as a group because that person just put themselves out there and that will be rewarding for them in a lot of different ways, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Even if, even if it doesn't come off perfect, yeah, stuff is going to happen, right? We're going to have a good old time. Like, it might not have been a great plan, but it, at least it was a plan.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and keep going with it. If it starts to work and there are some, some hitches in it, don't simply abandon it. Keep working with it and encourage the rest of the group to do so sometimes the worst plans end up being the most fun to play the octone cthulhu game i played this past weekend
0: uh, i was a black market dealer but we were going to a monastery and we're like well we're going to sneak somebody was like we're gonna sneak in i'm like fine let's sneak in i'm good at this i can sneak us in what is our what is our move like how how, how do we want to disguise ourselves is that the other thing and somebody was a nurse and like well i'm a nurse i'm like well we can go in as a medical outfit and like give them free medical checkups and things like that and everybody was like yeah let's do that so i'm just playing off of everybody's ideas and trying to help us, you know, move the game along, so that let it bog down in planning. Because I love planning. Planning's stupid. I hate planning in <laughs> <laughs> role playing games. No, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, so so we did that, right? And then, you know, we tried to keep that going by, uh, well, we set up, and then I had to make a distraction with some other people to help them get out and be able to do the things that they wanted to do. So then they got to move around the compound to look for the
2: thing that we were looking for that we were there for. I, actually, I think what you just said actually reinforces itself. Planning can bog down a game. So being encouraging of other people's ideas can help to eliminate the choices and the planning. If somebody's like, let's do this. Yeah, let's do that. And then you don't have the, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? Nope. You know what? That's a good idea. Let's just follow through that and we'll make the rest of it up as we go along. It gets the pacing going. Mm-hmm. It makes people feel good, eliminates those choices, and it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, Agre-
0: um, agreed. 100%. All right, let's 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 talk about pacing again in this for, for a thing for the GM, which is the managing of the spotlight. So- When you're running a one-shot at a convention, you're often, you can often fall into a space where you have six or seven players at your table. That happened to me a number of times. Even five is kind of a lot at a convention if it's a loud room, right? If there are more players around, I think that you need to move the spotlight more quickly. You have to be a bit more punchier with your scenes, and it's important to find the places where you can cut from one person to another that create tension or where those natural breaks are. I think it's an important skill to learn. I think it's an important skill to develop and pay attention to, especially when you were in that setting or that situation.
2: Does anybody else have any thoughts about that? I think as a player, it's also important to uh, look at spotlight management and help the GM, either by moving the spotlight off of you if it's been on you for too long, Yeah. but also look at the other players out there and see if you see somebody who looks like they're antsy and they want to do something, or if it looks like they've got an idea, it's okay to, when the GM takes a pause, turn to their player and go, what do you think about this?
1: And do, do you want to bring in your, your thing or do you want to try something? Because the GM can then pause, even if it's not on
2: you, the GM can pause and move the spotlight on them for a second.
1: It also helps the GM
2: because managing spotlight and watching their players is often difficult, especially when one person's talking to the GM. The GM might not notice that somebody sitting off to the side has got some ideas going on. And you're not stealing the, the control away from the GM. You're doing it politely by just talking to the other player. And if the GM wants to, they can then open up and do something. But it's being a polite player, but also giving that spotlight a, a good move around. Yeah, let's talk about that, that concept for a second. The, and what it actually, like the, the, the benefits
0: of doing that. I, I love this, this, this idea as a player of like moving or sharing spotlight. So if the spotlight is on me as a player and I turn to, while I'm in the middle of doing whatever I'm doing to Jerry and, and involve him in what I am doing, then I've let the game master know that I will help with spotlight management. So when he comes back to me, he knows I'm, I might potentially add in one or more players in the, so that it'll help the game flow better more people will be involved Two, it lets me interact with the other players so that we can build more rapport and have a scene together instead of a scene alone, you know, together instead of alone. It's a group effort, not a, not an individual effort. And it lets the other people at the table realize like, Oh, this is a cool thing to do. And it will build group actions instead of, or like collective actions within the group rather than just one person doing a thing, which means we all get to actually play more. Those are all three huge positives for a game that you can push as a player. Now, it doesn't work for every scene, right? Like, if it's a fight, like I'm I, I'm going to make my attack roll, right? But when you're in those, like, moving around exploration scenes or things like that, and you need to, you know, go somewhere with somebody, then you can do that, right? And that mm-hmm. gives you a chance to turn and talk to people.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff, Jerry. And that's actually a good one to carry beyond one shot. Yeah, absolutely. For everyday play in a normal campaign that you, you know, 30, it, 40 sessions in. I'm like, with you. I think everything we've said here applies to campaigns yeah. oh, it, it does. but, yeah,
0: yeah. but
2: we're hyper folks. but we're hyper but yeah I agree mm-hmm. that is something we, we need to see more of in games yeah
0: the, the nice thing about what we're talking about here for the most part is we're as players helping build a table culture in a one-shot environment mm-hmm. now it is temporary but I watch multiple times table culture be built at the table by the players in a rapid time and it often started with one or more characters players talking to each other not necessarily the game master because the Game Master in that power dynamic has way more emphasis on what's going on in the game, but us as players can really help define how we want the game to go.
2: We saw this in one of the games we played where two of the players were making jokes about one of them being an idiot. It was a running joke going on mm-hmm. that the players were making fun of the character stats back and forth, mm-hmm. but doing it kind of in character. And the GM just paused for a second, waited for everything to die down and then said, well, you didn't realize that all just happened in character. Mm-hmm. and that Refocused everybody back on the story itself and each other's characters instead of the you know mechanical thing that we were all that we were doing while that conversation was going on while somebody was trying to look up their stats and that sort of thing. So even though the focus wasn't the character doing the the stat thing because the other characters were all goofing around in character, mm-hmm. that spotlight was all over the place and had a good t- and everybody had a good time with it.
0: Everybody was involved. It was yep. fun. Yep. Here's one that kicks back towards the early part of the game. I think let's talk about questions as a player that you can ask in play like. One, I like to have my character sheets have some gaps in them when I'm making them for, for, for a one-shot, or even when they're given to me for a one-shot, because I like to fill in a, a thing or two. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to fill in everything, but I like to fill in a thing or two. Unless the game lets me make my character in five minutes, like, uh, like the board games. Any, any board game, apparently, you can generate a character in five minutes, mm-hmm. which I like. But then you can ask questions. So, uh,
2: Jerry, what are some of the questions that are quality to ask? The two big ones, I always think, are, number one, how do you know each other? Oh, yeah, that's good. And the second one that's really important is, why do you get along? Why are you a party? Why are you together as a team? We played in a game where the GM actually answered that question for us initially, but it really set the tone. Um, it was called Cthulhu, and he said, there's really only a couple constants here. He said, you all know each other, you're all 12 years old, mm-hmm. and you're all on the volleyball team together, and you're all friends. Your friendship can vary in its quality, but those are the constants for this. And then went on from there. And then the players started asking questions of each other, and... You know, who gets along with who and who hangs out with who, but in other games where the question was, you know, well, why are you all together? Well, because the captain has a starship; we're all part of his crew. So, um, so what's your what's and then when the players ask so well, what's your role in the crew? Well, I'm the engineer. Okay, mm-hmm. we know that kind of thing. Why are we all here? And by the time we just asked a couple of questions, we weren't just six players showing up to a table or even six pe- people on the same team. We were part of a crew.
0: Yeah, I mean that's good, right? Like that yeah. gives you think gives you. A- Without having a frame for
2: the game, that gives you a frame for the game in, in a lot of ways. It also overcomes a lot of the possible interparty difficulties that can occur in a game, because if you have a bunch of people coming with different personalities, if during your question and answer, you've estab- you can establish a couple of things like relationships and who gets along and how, mm-hmm. it keeps from figuring out like, why would, I, why would I sacrifice a resource to help this person kind of thing. If I don't like the Ambrians, why am I in this group with three Ambrians? Well, because I'm here to spy on them or something, or because I fell in love with one at one point or whatever. Sure,
0: yeah, right? Like, there you go. Just you answer the question and
2: figure out how you, how you stick, because you're only there for four hours or three hours. And as a player, lean into those questions when they're asked you. If they say, well, why do you all get along? Don't come with, well, I really don't like anybody. No. Oh, I get along with these people because I, I might hate the rest of the world, but these are my friends and I trust them. You know, sure. something like that. Lean into those answers. Yeah, because if you don't you're just you're,
0: you're making the game harder for everybody including yeah. yourself really you're yeah. just defying your you're your, your making it so it could be less
1: fun for you in a lot of ways yeah don't make it harder for yourself and everybody else
0: yeah man don't don't be like i'm gonna walk off into the desert when the dungeon's right there like yeah, yeah. i mean you want to do that that's fun for you i'll just turn to you every 15 minutes and be like you still walking in the desert like yeah i'm like okay just
1: turn turn away yeah i don't know it's just- Here, here's a good question are you okay with this Yes. yeah I, that's I a mean great that in, question in the context of like i have an idea for something between our two characters are you cool if like we're twins are you cool if you know we both dated the same person once and we're kind of a little raw from that right mm-hmm. now? but get the buy-in from the other player <laughs> always yeah
0: I, there was a lot of situations this past weekend where more that question probably should have been asked a few more times <laughs> there was almost a a situation where i actually had to stop the game because i was like i don't know about this i almost had to be like well let's talk about this for a second because there was a, a riddle with heart of the sea and blood to get through you have to have the heart of the sea to get through the, the door of blood and we're standing there we, we all like drip some blood into this like pedestal with a cup and then people started talking about cutting somebody's heart out <laughs> i'm like well we didn't talk about player versus player when we sat down at this morp bork table this, this pirate Borg table luckily we just figured it out but um in the forbidden lands game somebody had given me their socks, which had little hearts on them, to wrap around my face with water to walk through this uh, mushroom grove that was like putting us to sleep, mm-hmm. and then somebody else said, "Like, well, that means that's like an engagement proposal in in uh in in this culture." And I'm like, "Oh, cool. I guess we're engaged now."
2: <laughs> <laughs> but nobody asked that. Like, I just you put it out there. I said yes. Like, let's go. I, I had a character that was in Simbarum where I was among the civilized folk. I was a barbarian witch, but I didn't tell anybody that. If it was known that I was a witch. I might get arrested and burnt at the stake. So I told the party that this is my character, this is what they've got, and then I said, now, this is all information that you as players will know, but your characters don't. My character is actually a witch. I'm here to spy on the Ambrians, and that I said, I just want you guys to know that I'm doing that so we can play off that. Mm-hmm. It's a secret that your characters don't know, but you guys should know that because it's part of table culture.
0: Yeah, uh, man, I think that's a good... Yeah, like right, you're establishing table culture. Yeah, the good, that's, that's
2: a good thing to do because that might get other people to, to volunteer that stuff. Yeah. It also meant that everybody was having fun playing on it's that when I did do sneaky stuff they could either lean into it and like play off the fact that I was doing something sneaky or deliberately be oblivious to it however they wanted their player to be without them distrusting me because they knew what my character was doing yeah Mm -hmm. and it it did a lot towards explaining why I was gonna be part of the party and help them
0: All right, last thing uh, Mm -hmm. as a player I think it's very important to embrace the tone and theme of the game if it's horror play to be horrified If you know you can roll another character up in five minutes and bring them back into the game, then play it dangerously. I mean, maybe play it dangerously anyway because it's a one-shot and write it like you stole it, right? (laughs) Um, If it's about playing teenagers, maybe be a little bit emotionally messy and inconsistent, right? Because that's what teenagers do. Anybody else have any thoughts about embracing tone and theme?
1: That's one of those things where you, you need to buy in. You're there for a reason. The game is supposed to be about X. You should buy into whatever X is. Yeah. If it's investigation, you should be investigating. Yes. Like, be curious at that point. If it's a heavy investigation game, don't be like, I want to run over and punch the bartender. You probably should have signed up for a fighty game yeah. instead of an investigative game. Yeah. <laughs> try to try to be that player who's like, Okay, this is about this. I'm gonna do this. Yeah, if you signed up for a D and D game or
0: like a, a one of those like board games or whatever, like be prepared for the randomness of the D twenty, and also like D and you're going to fight Mark Borg, you're going to explore stuff and and fight stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. depending on the the flavor of Borg that you're playing, I suppose. Oh uh, yeah, I'm with you. Play the tone, play the
2: theme, B- buy in, allow yourself to be scared by the things that are supposed to be scary, be amazed by the things that are supposed to be amazing, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else have any thoughts before we move on? Uh, my last one is I think as a player, a simple notes. I think that when the GM is talking. If you're the kind of player who can do this, have a three-by-five card or a notebook, whatever. If they drop a name, just scribble the name down with a descriptor. If they mention something important, like where you're going, scribble that stuff down and just have it there in front of you. Because it's a short game. You're dealing with a lot of things, especially if it's a new game. Not everybody's good at taking notes. It's, not, it's okay that if somebody says, oh, who, who is that guy we talked to? And you can just hold up your card that says Sebastian on it and point to it. Don't even, you don't have to say Sebastian. If you hold up, point it, the other player's like, Sebastian. That puts the focus back on them again, number one. Mm-hmm. But also keeps the game moving without us all trying to look at things, and it brings you all back into the the theme of the game. I like the dry race cards. I was using them there. I was writing stuff down on them, and as the game got past a point where that wasn't important, like we we left the town we were in. I know we're not coming back to it. Race it off the dry race card. Like that's not important for the rest of this game, kind of thing. I just write notes on my character sheet in mm-hmm. the margins because mm-hmm. I'm lazy. <laughs> I've got to say it was funny in the first game we played. Everybody at the table were note takers. So Every time the GM dropped the name, you'd
1: see all four people pick up. Scroll, scroll, scroll. <laughs> the sound of funny. furious scribbles.
0: Ah, uh, Role playing game table like AMSR. Like ASMR, yeah, like scribbling of mm-hmm. notes. It would make a good NPC name. Furious scribbles. Fur- furious scribbles, man. That's a kobold. Yeah, probably. probably. Or a goblin. Or a goblin. Yeah, one of those two. No. Goblin. Gnome, gnome, gnome. That's a good gnome name. Oh, if it was, if it was a gnome, would be like Furious Scriblees or something like that. Though. Sure, sure. You can, can conjugate that last word whatever way you want to get the the flavor that you want. Put the emphasis in the wrong syllable. Sure. Why not? I pronounce it scribblaze. <laughs> I just want you to you, you. I pronounce it scribbles and then you play the character with that tone the entire time. Yeah. Like I am a gnome of high class. I must have some tea. Would you like some crumpets with your tea? Anyways, let's move on to the next thing that we're going to do, which is what would a Children of the Shroud one shot look like? Because, you know, maybe we should try to relate this <laughs> thing to the whole thing that we're doing. Relate it back to the thing we're doing. Yeah, I know. Right. Mm-hmm. I will go through this because I wrote it up. But you all feel free to interject what you think would make it better or worse or my ideas are stupid. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open to this. So, one, I would start by handing out pretty complete characters with one distinction missing and one relationship
1: blank that is a that is a fair number of openings yeah
2: i think it's really good because by giving them two relationships and leaving the room blank you're also telling them a lot about the setting of the game with those first two relationships yes i am you're mentioning important (laughs) characters and those first two relationships should be people that are likely to show up in the in the one shot they should
0: be somebody who is normal non-magical and somebody who is magical that's how i would do it one of each absolutely I mean, your distinctions will also tell you a lot about, the, about your character in the game. But yeah, the relationships will too. I think it's also then important to have a leading question about the game to help hook the characters into the scenario. If Phil's been doing this pretty effectively in the first couple, like the whole thing. The, really, the question about Morris. If that was a one-shot, that question is very important, because it's like, how did you know Morris, who was been murdered? No, that, that hooks us. Mm-hmm. The next thing I think when I'm putting together this one-shot, I would have an opening scene in high school. Then if I was being really clever, I would have the theme of the scene be related to the theme of the
1: magical problem that's occurring. That's a solid thing. That is an excellent, excellent suggestion because A, it's a game about high school students. Uh huh. So you hit that right out of the gate. And like you say, if you can tie the two things together, the two halves, oh, you're walking through school today and it's really, really cold. It's like the heat's off for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, gee, I wonder what's up with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's because the winter wind is sending a messenger to drop off his axe. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yep. Spoilers if you haven't listened to first Yeah, episode. spoilers.
0: <laughs> you should listen to it. It's really good. Next, I would introduce the magical problem via Miss Cortez if we were using the school or whoever the liaison is for the junior guardians in that particular school. Or I would use one of the magical students to help introduce the, the magical problem then I would start the investigation slash moving through whatever the problem is. It's kind of like your fun and games. Like here's a, here's a scene or two of like, Ooh, we're doing magical veil stuff, right? Like,
2: and whatever, whatever that looks like. I would say that that investigation with your problem should also involve that's a, if you haven't yet, that's a good place to bring in a couple of mechanics. Yeah. I mean, Um,
0: I mean, this is, we're playing the game now, right? Like the investigation thing is roll some dice. Yeah. The, uh, the early stuff could also be, like, the high school thing would be roll some dice too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that scene is also roll some dice, in, engage with some mechanics, whatever the, whatever you want the game to be. Our, our game has a lot of, me- like, rolling of dice for mechanics. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you, Jerry, 100%. At this point, or maybe previous to this, I would introduce a B situation for one of the characters that's tangentially related to the A problem, because, like, I like having that. Hopefully, with the stuff with the characters, when we'll talk, I mean, I, we can talk about this right now. Hopefully these characters will interact in some way, shape, or form before this and cause their own trouble,
1: mm-hmm. like you,
0: or you can use their relationships, like leverage their relationships that they have against them to cause them some amount of trouble before this point as yeah. part of like the, the fun and games part of it all, especially with that investigation or whatever's going on in school. But yeah, if, if you haven't really gotten a lot of that, here's a good place to drop a B problem that's, that's related to the A problem. I would continue the investigation then, moving through an, another problem and then potentially have a twist at this point. And that will then lead to the final situation confrontation. Because I know how long a frickin' Cortex game takes to play, especially when you start rolling dice in some sort of conflict. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to pace this thing out for your three and a half hours. In there, you know, you can insert more of the relationship stuff that you have or whatever the problems are of the scenario, whatever whatever the framework, which is probably some sort of investigation. Our, our Children of the Shroud games are mostly investigative-type scenarios where we're looking into mm-hmm. things and problems. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to the final confrontation situation along with the resolution of the B situation, hopefully. And any other th- situations that have cropped up along the way that have been made by the players during play, because don't ignore those things. You yeah. just can't necessarily always plan for those things. Right. And then you have your, den- den- uh, your denouement. Yeah, which give the players a, a few minutes to like, tell what happened after that. Or have your own denouement and things like that. I think that is a good structure for a Children of the Shrub one shot. Any thoughts? I think that's a very
2: solid list. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where I live in in providing stuff. So I think be aware of the fact that confrontations in Children of the Shroud, like actual combats, uh, can take some time. So they take some time. I, so I would not make. I would I would plan for one. And if you're gonna have a second one, it should be very short. Something like a bully shows up or something that can be resolved in one round. I would not plan a second conflict in a in a one shot Children of the Shroud game because it'd be pretty quick to eat up a good chunk of your time yeah we've not over
0: the course of our game we have not had a lot of fights 11 sessions of play i think we're i don't know if it's 11 sessions it's a lot of sessions it's like seven or eight sessions of play Mm -hmm. there hasn't been that many combats like that many like throw down situations because they take a while Mm -hmm. i don't know that's that's a that's our episode i hope i hope everybody enjoyed that if you have your own thoughts about what makes a good one shot i know if Ange hears this she has tons of thoughts about this so Mm -hmm, you know there's that we would love to hear them in our Slack room. Message us on, on Blue Sky. Uh, you can message me, Chris Snezak. I, I follow all that stuff. I will bring them back to the group, and we'll talk about them on a show somewhere. With that, we will be getting out of here. We'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to Misdirected Mark Plays. Now let's do some Patreon shoutouts before we get out of here. Let's start with the Royal Court. The Polish Ogre, who is our very own Polish Ogre. Ty Prunty, also known as Lord Time Onger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord out of time. Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, J.T. Evans, the Queen's Librarian, Schmidty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, Eric Bontz, the Weregator, and Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Now, we have a bunch of other patrons that get a shout out here, too. Thank you so much. John, Chris Constantine, Miko Froelich, Eric Simon, Athelus, Not That Billy Mitchell, Fiona, Kathleen Halperin, Christopher Gamelk, Michael Beck Esperum, Joseph Knoll, Carlos Hepthalema, Michael Draper, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Ranabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Richard Wyatt, Joseph Peralta, Brian Kurtz, my Brett, not my Brett, but somebody's Brett, Chris Steele, Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, and Brandon Barnes. Thank you so much for being our patrons. If you'd like more content like this, you can check it out at misdirectedmark.com. If you are interested in supporting the show and other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com MMP. You can get a whole bunch of stuff there, including extra bonus podcast episodes, material concerning this game, The Children of the Shroud. That includes character sheets, our game rules, some of our setting stuff, and Phil's thoughts from behind the screen. If that's not your thing, then you can just tell a friend about us. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, there are a variety of shows on our network. You can check out Pandas Talking Games with Phil and Senda, where they talk about all kinds of game stuff. The Gnomecast, where a bunch of gnomes get together to talk about gaming topics to avoid being thrown in the stew and Thaco with Advantage, where Ange and Jared talk all about D&D. They're going to talk about it anyway, so why not record it? If that's still not enough content for you, we have a number of other podcasts that we recommend and are friends with. The Tabletop Bellhop, your board game concierge. The Knights of the Night, an excellent AP podcast. Mastering Dungeons, where they talk all about D&D if you want some more D&D stuff. And How to RPG with Sean P. Kelly. You can catch that on YouTube. He's live on Saturday mornings. I'm often in the chat room there. Well, this has been a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. Mic drop. We out.